If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. Welcome back to The Change Physician. I am Melissa Katie, the Challenge Doctor, with my co-host from the West Coast, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, on our Saturday salutations on July 8th, I believe. We are July 8th. July 8th, yes. Yes, and we're here to just uh, say hello, everybody, and for Kevin and I, say hi. Um, keep us in touch and just discuss what's recently been happening in the podcast or uh, any thoughts and recent events or whatever we feel like talking about, really. Um, so how are you, Kevin? You know, I am well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just saying I was a little tired, but that is just because I got some exercise in. And uh, yeah, it's. I think it's a little bizarre. I get tired when I'm um, I don't know. I don't think I remember getting this tired when I would exercise before, but now uh-huh. I just get tired after exercise. Mm. Yeah. Well, do you feel rejuvenated after uh, a walk more or after you do your, um, your, well, your I feel, weights? I, I'd, I'd say both of them, like the initial, like right after you feel really good. And then all of a sudden yeah. I just crash. Boom. Yeah. So, so you just, you get the acute spike, kind of like the uh, glucose response on uh, straight sugar you feel it up and then suddenly it's down. Suddenly it's down. Yeah. <laughs> Which is sort of weird. Even with like, and it, it, um, I don't know. It's not like I do. Like well, I've been, I've been introducing that low and in, low intensity, steady state kind of thing. So it's literally, I just walk hills on a treadmill for a long time. Oh, Which, okay. it's not that bad. I mean, these are little teeny dinky hills too. I'm not even doing the big ones. And it's like, I don't know. I shouldn't be tired after this, but whatever You're just doing whatever. Rolling, rolling hills no mount everest or anything like no, that no 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 i did that for a, a while and then um that i've just kind of been following been trying to be paying more attention to and be more aware of what my workout is in um over the last particular six months um because i was having some stalls like mm-hmm. people know my cut my kettlebell journey i was kind of stalling out so i yeah. had to I did this things like actually increased rest time and then added some things. And then um, I was got a little kooky with the exercise, like on the off days. And I'm like, okay, I got to cut that back. I don't know. Anyway, so it's just kind of interesting to see what's going on. So yeah. I'm just doing these long walks. And it's a perfect opportunity to do all those stupid things that you feel like you're wasting time on, like scroll Facebook or yeah. play these dumb little tablet games. And I'm yeah. like, you know, if I do it while I'm walking, it's constructive <laughs> and it goes by faster it tends yes. to go by faster yeah it tends to go by yeah faster. that that reminds me of our like i think one of the most powerful ways to start a new habit is you you link it with something else that maybe you always do or kind of need to do and you feel like you're killing two birds with one stone not that i want to kill birds but you know the phrase um but just link something with it. And then you don't feel guilty either way. Like you actually get the walk done and you don't feel like you're just wasting time on Facebook or whatever you're scrolling through. Or sometimes to me, there's like podcasts or trainings or stuff like that, that I just want to like passively ingest some information. Um, Sometimes I need the music to get me going, but I, I feel like I want to consume information, but I don't want to just sit on my butt to do it. So I think it's a way to do both. So that was a good little nugget for the day 
Mm-hmm. Change position nugget. Change position, um, yeah. <laughs> well, let me see here on our podcast. Um, if you've never gone to Instagram, we we post some little trailers, um, mainly in the past. Recently, we've been doing some um, summer Thursday throwbacks. Um, but let's see here. You can you can follow us on Instagram and kind of see what we've been doing over the years because it's been like three years. Oh, we just passed three years. Yeah, I think we've. It, yeah. Oh, because I think I was we I was gone because I've been gone so much. But yeah, our three we we've, we've been on three Start years. July six, we are officially. This is like an important time. This is like literally three years three and years. two days and two yes. days. There you go. That three is impressive. Yeah, that's you know that's a lot of talking. It's a lot of talking. How a do lot you, of commitment. We're still talking to each other. What's going on there? And we still have stuff to talk about to each other. That's what amazing. was that? And then we still have things to talk about with each other. So I know kind of... we do. I think we're friends now. <laughs> no, no, we're not. <laughs> no. Well, I, you know, it's funny. It, it just goes to show that it's, um, you know, my, my husband is really good at podcasting uh, uh, outside the sheds. And uh, he did that uh, for at least half a year, I think. And it's really hard to do by yourself. It's very hard to like keep it going if you're not making money to like motivate you or inspire you. Like just to talk to yourself by yourself is a totally like I commend him for doing. Uh, he would do an hour of talking literally for each. Episode. Well, how long did you do? Because you, I, I mean, I podcast by myself and I made it like I was consistent for almost a year and then on and off again for another one or two years. But you did pod like a. What, what well, I did like a called? well, I kind of did like this. Some people called it a pod, but it wasn't on podcast venues. But uh, I had a community website and I would post the videos there. It would just you're be producing, like, you're basically producing contact, the content, though, content, it's, it's right? Similar thing, and, and it's and that's but the I was interviewing, right? Yeah, oh, that's easier. Yeah, so I did that yeah. for a couple of years. Okay. I would say it was pretty religious. I have to go back and look, see the dates that I did all that, but um. I definitely, at least for two years, but it wasn't necessarily every, I don't remember how often it was. It's been a while, but creating the content, knowing, you know, it it was partially interviewing, I called them pain challengers, people who found ways to help themselves, not just Mm -hmm. the medical field. And then I had pain professionals and interview how they do things a little bit differently than your traditional pain physicians or pain clinicians, whatever you want to call it. But so I found that I was learning and, you know, cons- just learning what was out there and being inspired. And then I just figured I'd share it with the world. But that kind of helps keep you going if you're you're consuming, learning, and interacting with other people. So, but to do it solo, it, it's definitely tougher. Oh, way, way harder. Although, Especially- you know, that kind of brings me, because there's always, you know, if you're a physician and you're kind of looking at something else and, um, and there's stuff ghosting all over the place. You just remind me of one of the most best things because content production is extraordinarily hard. Content production as an individual is instrumentally hard. Like I, it is so much harder than than like because that was when I first started my my very first podcast, which was Straight Shot Health Talk, and it was um, I was like, well, I, I'm going to do some interviews, but I don't want to do like everybody else doing interviews. I'm going to do some solo ones, and there's a reason everybody does interviews is because they're they're monumentally easier to do. I mean, it's still hard to do the grind, but it is so much easier than trying to do a single podcast just producing for yourself. 
Yeah. Um, but I would say if you if you're kind of interested in the genre or want to kind of do something, what you hit on is interview people that you are interested in that specific topic. And then um, you're kind of doing both. And who knows what's going to happen with that? Because um, yeah, don't don't think that your podcast is going to go out and generate idle money. But um, unless you're going to be like a professional, and then usually a professional has done something before similar. But uh, it's a great chance to just interview and connect with people and kind of learn things. So whatever your specific topic is, and it's, it's enjoyable. Like one of the reasons we do this, or at least I do this still, like we're not monetizing, we're not doing anything. We're certainly not like being super hardcore like some people are, um, is because I just enjoy our conversations. It's a chance to kind of like talk and uh, have some things that I think are intellectually stimulating. And then we get our guests on who I enjoy. So I do it because it's fun. Yeah. 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 No, I, I'm of the same mindset and, and it's, you know, I was thinking like, um, cause I have been, you know, dabbling and looking at other ways to like, whether it's books or writing content and stuff. I, I was thinking about how sometimes people just peek in for our lives or people that might, especially I would say with me, like I, when I'm at work, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm about work and I'm focused on patients, not that I don't want to engage and connect with my co colleagues or coworkers. I just, I kind of get in that, like, you know, mindset of work because it's, to me, I take it, there's, there's a, a stress to it and you definitely take it seriously because you feel a sense of responsibility, but I feel like sometimes people don't really get to know me and that there's a curiosity. Sometimes they just pop in and like, you know, listen, this is at least my take on it all. And it's almost like getting inside. I thought to myself, getting inside the the mind of me or a physician or whatever it is, the lens that they're looking through, I don't know. But I do realize that sometimes there's this perception about physicians or, or they think they know, you know, they think they know you, but then when they get to hear you talk behind the scenes about your thoughts that you don't bring up at work, <laughs> Um, for whatever reasons or political reasons, or whatever, it's it's almost kind of like you feel like you get to know somebody. And I think that's also something that um, it's kind of a way for me to be my myself with you for the world and, you know, for whatever benefit that is. But I just feel like it's kind of nice for people to see you as just a human being who happened to step into the world of medicine, <laughs> who happened to like go down a path along with her co-host and realize that things could be better and that maybe we're not serving our patients in the best way. Like, I, I think it's just a really interesting perspective that we give. And so, I mean, I enjoy our conversations, but I also feel like by extension, I think, I feel like the world benefits from just hearing this. It's very unique. I mean, I don't, I don't know any two co-hosts that are fellowship trained, pain trained and stepped away from that field and then speak their own truth together yeah and, I mean, are, and are willing to speak it rather than sit in the shadows like yeah. um which is, that's one of the fascinating things i think about medicine like yeah um because there's so much crap that happens behind the scenes yeah. that everybody whispers in the corners about and we know mm -hmm. but no one says um and i and i and it's scary it's super super scary i, I guess i've been talking about my specific topics for long enough now that it's no longer really terrifying to me Mm -hmm. um but it, it it is super interesting like like there is 
Like, I, and, and I used to drive me crazy when I was doing more of the kind of consulting thing around trying to get things to change how we treat pain. And people would say, oh yeah, I totally agree with you. And I'm like, well, why aren't you saying anything? Why, why are you, when you're sitting in these, in, in these C-suite meetings, talking about reimbursement changes for your clinics? Why aren't you? And they, and no, and they don't. And um, yeah, so it's, I don't know. And that my kind of one of the hopes of when we do these kind of frank conversations and we haven't, I mean, I ran all the time, but um, the, the one of the strengths of having this kind of distribution media is to see that you are not alone. And most people realize that there are some problems and it, we just need to have more and more and more people speaking up so that these conversations happen in the places that they need to be happening. And there's enough of a of a, a, a realization that things need to change such we can do it on a system-wide net level, particularly when it comes to reimbursement. Because until the incentives change yeah. and the incentives aren't going to change until those incentives are driven down, or at least there's the people in power realize either the money needs to change or there's a different way that we're going to fund this stuff. It's not, it, it won't simply, it's not going to change. Um, and that's not just for the treatment of pain or how we approach pain in, in, particularly the U.S. healthcare, but really universally almost everywhere. Um, but just how we see health and how we do reimbursement and how we kind of value who does what. Um, you know, in the United States, we value monkey skills, which is procedures. And I'm not, I'm not being cruel about that, but it's a specific set of, of techniques that are kind of muscle memory things. But we don't really appreciate the cognitive skills, which I, you know, we complain about physician leadership or lack of physicians involved in health. Well, there's no reimbursement for using a brain. So if you're not going to pay for somebody's brain, you're going to get people who don't have that training. Yeah. And um, anyway, I'm, I'm all starting my little rant again. And that's not going to change okay. though until people start recognizing that, hey, there, there's a time and place, a new consult, new patient, initial evaluation, when you want people who have really, really good education and background to see you. Yeah. Um, and that should be reimbursed in such a way so that we can do that. Um, and that's, yeah, anyway, I just, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, I want to, there was a couple of things you brought to mind here and, and um, gosh, we almost can make an episode of everything we're talking about here, but you know, it always seems like money talks to the people that value money over other things. And I wish integrity would talk or another word versus money, but unfortunately in the politics of things and the pressure that is put on the different levels of the non-physician or the, I would say the non-clinical, um, you know, the non-clinician, that kind of the pressures that they have to like produce and meet numbers and, and it doesn't, it's not in alignment with necessarily integrity. And so it gets very skewed. And I, the other thing you made me think about is how concerning the uh, lack of transparency has, it's, it's so, there's so much lack of transparency that there's a misunderstanding by the patients as to who's responsible for what. And when I hear about a patient or a family member of a patient that harms or kills a physician thinking they were in control of all the bills and other things that came to them when they completely clueless because they've been separated, unfortunately cut from the umbilical cord or, you know, from that, I feel like um, that it's an injustice to the whole system because the, the blames are being put in the wrong places. And it baffles me how ignorant and, and based on, I think this tra transparency issue too, 
of how, um, I'll speak very uh, generally. I had a conversation around someone I knew about how um, sometimes it doesn't make financial sense to take on responsibilities when you when when you get to the bottom line, you're actually not make you're actually pulling money out to provide whatever service. And you can use that as a simple example of like Medicare. You know, the amount of money it takes to pay for that visit or what went on and what you get reimbursed from Medicare doesn't make any sense from a business standpoint. And so there, there's on multiple levels, some some major issues with, with um, I guess this person didn't understand how that could be possible. <laughs> um, and trying to explain that from to someone on the outside on like how all this stuff works is really difficult um, because they they're completely ignorant of the situation in many cases if they're not part of the system or inside the system. Um, so I know that was extremely vague because I had to be, um, but I think there's um, it it bothers me not just from like the financial side, but the education and and like you said, the drivers, the things that are motivating the incentives and how they're not aligned. And sometimes patients think they are, <laughs> um, and they're not receiving the best care, even though we live in the United States. So anyway, but yes, and caring is not really reimbursed. Well, you could be, no, a there's, no, there's, it's, it's, it's incentives. Like you, you brought up it's the power of money. It's not necessarily the power of money It's the power. It, it's incentives and money being a proxy for incentive. Yeah. And there is integrity there is little incentive to to have integrity other than to try to be a good human and if you have social you know norms or whatever yeah. um but what you know you should do things for the right reasons but what is supposed to keep that in line well lawsuits and board reports and all that other stuff and you can and you see even in their situation people will get away with what they can get away with if the incentives are are there right um yeah it's it is uh it's interesting. And when you get a you get a system that is where the incentives are are misaligned, that is completely opaque and opaque, opaque in such a way because they want it to be opaque. I mean, think about hospital billing and how difficult they make it so that you can see what the charges are for. And you will never know what those charges are in advance, because why would they want to tell you this stuff? And then you have information asymmetry. Um where the people who know, or we should know, and then there's the people who don't necessarily have that same knowledge in there. So there's this perception difference here. Um, and that has to do with kind of things like informed consent and, and how we do, a, you know, procedures or what, what, what quote unquote is best. Well, it's really hard to actually educate what, it, what a best thing is when the information doesn't line up. And I'm, those are involved with things like end of life care, a lot of the new surgeries and things that have no benefit over something else, but someone tells them they're new cancer care in this, in this, in this nation, um, uh, end of life care in general, uh, and it's, and in, 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 they all kind of twist in this, this, this horrible, you know, maelstrom of just nastiness. Um, anyway, I, that's, that's the rant. I'm, I don't have any good solutions for it other than advocate for yourself, dip your toe into the healthcare thing. If you're a physician, particularly, just really understand what the data says and then be ethical enough to maintain that. Treat everybody like you would your friends and family. 
um, rather than what you can do to maximize or optimize your billing. I mean, I I, I get people want to make money, um, but you'd hope people people want to sleep at night. That's the thing I just don't I just don't understand. It's how people sleep at night doing some of the things that are done. Yeah. Um, other yeah. than they they, you know, they people will will justify that self-justification theory, self-justify, well, if I don't do this, someone else is going to do it. Oh, the patient really wants it, even though I know it doesn't really do anything. Oh, well, at least it's going to give them, you know, two months, although they'll be super sick from the chemo, uh, when they would live three months without being super sick from the chemo, if they didn't pay for the $50,000 infusion uh, that doesn't expend lifeline more than a month. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so exhausting. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. Well, and and there's always this thing about you know patients being happy, or when they. Oh, do- that's it. Well, and we and 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 we know that one, right? Because if you are, it, that is like the biggest red flag for me. If you are completely happy with your healthcare, there is something wrong. We actually have data that the most satisfied patients are have the generally the worst outcomes as compared to people who are not. And that has to do with, if you're just having everything done, do you think you want to have done because some people are, it makes you happy to have it done? Well, you're having a lot of stuff probably done that isn't necessary. Exactly. And it just blows my mind. I mean, cause we have, we have, you know, we still have Prescani running around and yet we have data that the people, particularly in, in inpatient, the highly satisfied patients are the ones with the worst, worst outcomes as compared to not. So um, I, I, I think it's dumb. Like if you have anything where, the, I think it with information asymmetry, you should not be happy all the time, right? Think about it as a mechanic. If you own a mechanic and you say, there's something wrong with my car and he goes, I've looked at everything and you trust your mechanic. You have a really good mechanic. That's the other problem with this whole thing. And like, everything looks fine. Your car is driving great. And you're like, well, I think that I need my engine rebuilt because there's a, it's making a weird noise or whatever. But um, the mechanic knows and he's truthful and he's honest and he's telling the truth. You know, really the mechanic would just say, well, okay, I'm not going to do it because it's not appropriate, right? We're just ripping out this engine. Now, that, that's hard to do because in a mechanic, it's, it's not someone's body, but we yeah. do this in healthcare all the time when it is somebody's body, which is not the same thing as a machine, and you will never, ever return that function to what it was beforehand. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's crazy, crazy. Yeah, some people might be offended, like, well, what do you mean we don't have a great machine? And it's like, mm, machines are t- typically not as adaptive and... And, um, it's, it's, we're not just parts plugged into each other. There's this, there, it's an amazing feedback system with multiple systems overlaid and talking to each other and adapting and, um, pretty miraculous that we have not like expired as a species. When you think of how many complex things go on, um, and you start mucking with them in ways that are not natural or normal too much you know, too fast or, or whatever, um, we can put people in a downward spiral and it may not happen right away. It may be one of those insidious processes that start going on and, you know, maybe hard to put A with B. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I just had to make a comment about that. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like people want to say we're a machine. It's like, hmm. Well, and, and people who view their bodies as a machine tend to generally um... fix all my parts. They, they have more procedures done, they intend to have more pain, and they have actually worse outcomes. Uh, I mean, that's lined with this idea of biomechanical pain beliefs, where you believe that this body's a construct and your pain oozes like pus out of stuff. Um, they tend to do worse. 
And um, our bodies aren't a machine, like you said. They're very dynamic, living things. And if you disrupt some of the stuff with some of the things that we do, you actually can worsen it over time. Like I, my big thing is knee arthroscopies. Why the hell are we doing knee arthroscopies? Mm -hmm. And people have those done over and over and over and over again for nothing until yeah. they actually have massive de uh, degradation of their cartilage and they get accelerated osteoarthritis in the joint space. Yeah. And yet we're people are doing them all the time. And you can, and you can, I do so much chart review now and you can just see it. It's like, oh, they come in with knee pain and then there's like, oh, there's a little bone spur here, blah, blah, blah. And then they go and we grind it around. And I, I remember sitting in the arthroscopies and anesthesia is going, what the hell are they doing? Yeah. Oh, wait a second. Oh, the cartilage that doesn't get a lot of blood supply and is limited. So why are you damaging it for the, oh, because we're doing microabrasions, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all this garbage. And then, you, but you can, if you chart it through a, through the chart and watch the same person it's just it's remarkable it's like knee arthroscopy and then oh the knees pains back and then they get another x-ray and you can see these radiological changes of just accelerated degeneration in these joints that were pristine before yeah. and um yeah i don't know it's like man don't be you do not want to be happy if you have someone's telling you everything that you want to hear and they're going to do something that you feel is right every time like oh they did surgery i mean oh they're going to do surgery well they're going to do surgery you're going to have, it's just so bad for your health. You'll be very happy, but you're not going to be functioning as well as you probably could be being maybe not as satisfied with your health. No, but those people then blame the genetics and then blame. Oh yeah. Yeah. Else. yeah. It's, it's not related to their first decision. That's the hard part admitting that you may have, I, and I applaud patients who admit that they made a poor choice and realize that they were taken, so to speak. <laughs> Cause that is not easy, um, mm -hmm. emotionally to, to like, uh, to swallow. Um, but it is a self-fulfilling bad prophecy kind of situation with these scopes because they're so common that it makes you believe that they're appropriate. And so it, people feel comfortable. Well, it, 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 this, is the, this is the thing just kills me. They're so common, right? Because there's, there's people and they are. And so there's this perception they're done all the time. So they must have benefit. And like yet colonoscopy. All, Everyone's getting one. <laughs> all the objective data says they don't do anything or they're causing harm. So that, I mean, what is, that was one of the things that stumbled me. I, I used to be much a feely guy. Like, I don't know if I've ever talked about this before, but like you did all those Myers-Briggs stuff. And I'm like on the, I, I'm more of an I than an E, so I'm a little bit more introverted than extroverted, but it's like 60-40. But I was an NFP, an intuitive feeling perceiver. And so I was really good, and if it felt right, and blah, blah, blah. And then when I had my sort of crisis of faith with pain, when you like look at all the data, and like, I can't, we're, we're doing all this stuff, and yet the data says it doesn't work. That is like completely transformed my perspective on anything. Like when people say I go by my gut, or I do it because it feels right that immediately makes, makes my my hackles raise mm -hmm. and people say well this is the way it should be because i'm like what does the data say like i'm not trying to be you know mr spock here i'm too emotionally volatile for that but there is a point where you, you look at what the data says and if you are not if the data sends something that is different with your feels then you better have really 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 good reasons to alter that and and um and most people don't. They just say, well, I know what the data says, but, um, but that, that was such a huge transition for me. Like, and it happens with everything. And people are like, oh, well, I love, this is the way, it, it's just, this is the way it's, this is so good because like, why? Well, oh, I just know it's good. Oh my God. It just puts me on edge. Like, and it, <laughs> and it's just generalized to everything. It's like, well, oh, 
you're just going by gut and your gut will mislead you in so many situations. It's like, um, it's crazy. And I think there's actually a couple books on that. I haven't read all of them, but uh, yeah. intuition versus non-intuition and decision-making, what, what actually goes into why you decide something. Um, yeah, it's... Well, again, money, if, if the incentives are still there to get paid for knee scopes, including anesthesia, that, you know, in some ways you're kind of... You're kind of beholden to whatever surgery surgeries run through that center or however things are set up the anesthesia, but you're kind of complicit in some ways and it doesn't always feel good. And so sometimes I have trouble with certain kinds of cases being done. Um, and that, and that is hard because then you're kind of, you, you are, well, that's a stress, that's a stress maker, right? Because you're now in a perception where you feel you have responsibility with low perceived control over how it takes place. So that's the massive recipe for burnout is high perceived responsibility for situations where you have low perceived control. And yes. uh, that's yeah. bad, bad, bad news. Yeah. Well, that's why I kind of had to go out on my own and, and being assigned to just plastic surgeons. Although there's another element you could sit there and question that too. But um, if it's out of the pain realm, it makes it easier for me. So I felt more comfortable, um, you know, people make their own choices obviously but if you feel like people are being i mean you could say social media and all these other things that make people feel less than they need to do things about themselves like you can sit there and 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 split hairs everywhere but um but the pain world that was just so hard um you know heavy sedation for prone pain procedures on morbidly obese patients and extremely risky um, although they think it's like quick and fine and I'll be fine. And like, no, you just regurgitated a whole bunch of bile and stuff. And well, and, no and for a procedure that there's no data, right? That's it's the so thing hard. is like, okay, then, you, then you're putting lots of risk in the actual, any perceived benefit from it comes from indirect treatment effects, which are not directly related to the care. They're, those are things like have to do with satisfaction. Did they like him? Did he wear a suit and a tie? Did he say what you wanted to tell him? Does, does he have a nice big old aquarium in his front office that makes you think that this is a great place to go to? All that stuff um, is where the treatment comes from. That's where, where the, or the perception of benefit comes from. Yeah. And if you're, yeah, I mean, we should not be doing things, highly invasive things where the predominant benefit is because of indirect treatment effects. That makes no sense at all. Yeah, why not do it in a way that's less risky if you're going to do indirect, you know, side effects? Yeah, go go do homeopathy and get a magic potion and if and that's really makes you feel great then makes you feel great and if there's long as there's nothing in it that's toxic, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, get some reiki or, you know, whatever it is. It's not technically like hurting you other than maybe your pocketbook. Um, you know, why not pick the lower risk physically? <laughs> and as long as it doesn't like trap you into it, like all of a sudden like, you have to yeah. come back and get your Reiki every day for the next 60 yeah. years. That's a yeah. hundred bucks a day. It's different you know. if you say, I'm here for you if you need some support. And it's just maybe that person is there to support you, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, some people need your friends to lean on a lot more than others. Like you, can you get through things on your own? Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, obviously connection and social parts of your life are important, but Anyway, I can go on and on about that, but <laughs> how about we just like make a comment about the podcast since, uh, Oh, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So this past week we had released on a Thursday, um, throwback. Let's see where I put our podcast. Here we go. Um, Dr. Kelly Casperson, the, you are not broken podcast. Definitely. You know, she's got a new book that came out. So you are not broken. Um, she's, she's got a new, no new 
educational program. I just saw she just emailed. Oh, cool. On uh, adult sex ed, adult sex ed, which I was like, that's a great idea. Oh yeah. You should, um, we should get her back on for that. Yeah. Um, and then this coming up week, we'll have Dr. Uh, Lear, um, that you know, well, ER physician to Moe's surgeon and entrepreneur. So that's a Thursday throwback. So that's coming up. Any comments there? Oh, I was just trying to figure, oh, there we are. I was like looking at the list going, where are I? I'm so lost. Oh, I don't you even know, know what today is. Yeah. You know what? We should mention one more because I don't, I think we might skip next weekend for a Saturday salutation. So Dr. Oh, Naveen, yeah. Dr. Naveen Goyal, Goyal uh, mm-hmm. anesthesiologist, MD to uh, venture capitalist. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> so that was a great conversation. So um, make sure to look for those re-releases and uh, any comments of those. No, other than Naveen was my junior resident and I, I, it just cracked me up because I, I really liked him. He was a great resident when we were at University of Chicago. And then all of a sudden, the next thing I think he's like this VC guy and I saw him doing something in Chicago with like the Chicago Bulls and his, it's like, where the hell did this come from? But it was fun yeah. to talk to him because, well, yeah. I want to make a comment here. All of our July re-releases of Thursday throwbacks are people you personally knew, which is pretty cool when you think about a lot of times you see these podcasts of people well, except someone... for kelly kelly i didn't know oh, okay except well for everybody else i did the next three <laughs> everybody else i did yeah yeah i have a direct um, personal relationship with all of them yes um, and and so that's kind of cool because sometimes podcasters you know they look and see who else has podcasted you know done a podcast on somebody and then they try to reach out for them as a guest but it's really nice to like you know, people that really haven't been put in the spotlight and in a podcast way and, you know, or they've done some things, but you're not in the podcast circuit, so to speak yet. And it's kind of nice to introduce or share their story um, in a different, you know, audience. So, well, that's the thing. If you guys are listening out there, um, if you have somebody that you met, let us know, Uh, because that's sort of like, and we, every one of us have met interesting and amazing people. Yeah. So why are and it's the problem is most of us aren't really good at self-promotion. Um, and if you're not good at self-promotion, it becomes very difficult for people to hear about you. So, you know, I just think about that. It, like, the, like we all went to medical school, we all did residency, some of us did fellowship, and we all have practice experience. And and there's a lot of amazing people throughout all of that particular time that I would love to get more of their stories out. It just, it just again, it just happens. I I these people I just knew. And they're doing amazing things. Yeah. Um, and so I think all of us have that. And I would love to talk to more because as we hear those stories and people identify with them and you can maybe learn something and take away something useful. And Yeah. And it helps life. us keep going and yeah. be you know excited about the next interviews and share more with the audience. So Well, and then we get to meet cool people. Yeah. You know, that's what it's really all about is us it's, getting to meet cool people. That's our selfish reasons right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Kevin, why don't you take us out for our Saturday salutations? Sure. Well, thank you all for joining us on today for today's Saturday salutation. As always, you can join us on most Saturdays, except for um, we're going to be taking a little break here for the summer. And what else? Oh, you can join us at the community at budchangephysician.com, where you can sign up whether you're a physician or a physician ally. And until next time, stay well. Thank you for joining us today on the Change Physician podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.